0: Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor? Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it? Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, and let's go, y'all. Real estate experiment. What is happening, y'all? Today, I have the pleasure of having Damian Lupo in the house. And the reason why... Before I, I, I let Damien come in and introduce himself, I the reason I'm so excited to have Damien Lupa is, is because Damien uh, embodies what Experiment Nation is all about. As we know, we have a lot of entrepreneurs who come into the lab, and at the same time, we also cross over into the real estate space. So I think it's perfect, and I cannot wait to actually hear Damien's story. So Damien, why don't you tell us? the damien from starting back to when he was let's say right around a young age as an entrepreneur to who damien is now
1: man quick, I, you know quick high level know, <laughs> yeah the, the high level you know thinking back what, what was it and, and i i think i was always just pushing outside of of what i was told to do like i was just i didn't like when people told me what to do i mean i'm my, my fundamental value the number one thing has probably always been freedom being able to have free thought and free choice of what i was going to do and And so I started when people would tell me, no, I think a lot of times we go, oh, well, if I don't, if I don't accept no, then there are going to be consequences. And for me, I was so upset about hearing no, like at 11, my parents said, we don't have any money. We can't even afford to make our house payment. How are we going to pay for anything? And so I went and set up a Nintendo business, bought and sold Nintendo games and hired my parents to drive me around to do it. So I don't, I think, you know, when you get frustrated enough and I call this the trigger event in my book, reinvented life where something gets you so wound up that it snaps you into doing something and pivoting and shifting more than a degree, maybe like 90 degrees or maybe 180. And so I just kept doing that, like dropping out of college, getting thrown out. I actually got thrown out because I started a bookstore and put the other bookstore out of business. So they said, you have to leave because that really makes us unhappy. And, and it was just one thing after another, trying different things and not really buying into this idea that, that failing was wrong. And I, at some point let go of this judgment because you get used to enough judgment and you keep doing things. You realize, I don't think anybody I actually even liked is worthy of me thinking about the judgment. So, um, like bottom line is we, we tend to have these belief systems that hold us back and a lot of it has to do with mistakes and judgment. And so I just, I, I was so focused on creating and, and experimenting, you know, with my life. And I think that that's a key thing. Our curiosity as kids is so important and yet we become adults and we're afraid of our shadow instead of tapping into this curiosity, which, which it creates magic. And we actually have a life that's worth living versus one that's, you know, it's like a legacy life. We're living our past over and over again, like Groundhog Day.
0: So let's talk about that for a second, because before I want to preface you know, who is that, what we're talking about here, obviously, uh, I like to kind of give your an introduction and then come back and bring it full circle. Cause you're, you've, you've started over 40 companies. You're, you're from literally from real estate development to venture capital, to insurance agency, to uh, you, you're a fifth degree black belt. Um, if between now and then we haven't talked and you've gotten another <laughs> level that I don't know that exists, a uh, American sensei. So now, putting all this into perspective, you, you talked about tapping into those curiosities. And uh, do you think that your environment or the people in your environment, how, how much do you think it matters that those people allow you to tap into those uh, uh, curiosities? And if they don't, maybe you want to talk about how oh, the challenge of overcoming that, that, that pushback from perhaps society.
1: It's a great question. First off, it's always a choice what we're going to do. And it's a choice whether we're going to tap into curiosity, whether we're going to have a, an abundance or scarcity mindset, whether we're going to actually do anything with our life or just watch it go on, on cruise control. Always a choice. The problem is if we aren't acknowledging our environment, we're literally setting ourselves up to be a default because if there's, we've heard this a million times in different ways. The people that are around you define you and, and we absorb them. It's kind of like if you if you take a fish, you can have the most excited, curious, optimistic fish in the world, and if you put the fish in a pond full of toxic acid, the fish is going to die yeah. i don 't care how much the you know the, how much the of the secret the movie the secret the fish is watched like it 's not going to will itself out of this toxic environment yeah. and and so what can we do about that? We have the power to choose, and the power to choose is both physically where we are, where we live, and the people that are around us. The people are the ultimate. They're the ultimate enhancers or the the ultimate energy sucks. Question: Like when you when I when you look at your phone and somebody calls you, do you get excited or do you dread when certain people are calling you? And if the five people you talk to the most, if you're like, oh god, Fred's calling me again. Oh man! And you answer the phone, and you're like, Ugh. and you get off and you kind of need to take a nap because that person drained you. That's kind of telling with what your life is, you know, what the results are going to be. So. I I tell people all the time, and and I say this to myself. So when I'm talking to other people, oftentimes I'm just coaching myself. There's another person, so I don't look like a crazy person talking to myself in the mirror. And what I'm saying to them is be conscious and, and thoughtful about the people that are around you. And they go, well, does that mean I have to get rid of my mom? I'm like, no, your mom can stay. Just be acknowledge, if your mom's a whiner or a complainer, how much of that whining and complaining, how much of the victim are you okay with becoming? Because you will become that stuff that you're around most of the time. And so we've got to decide, do I want that stuff? And and here's the cool thing. When you open space, when you cut things out, like the wrong people in your life, you open space for amazing new things. It's like burning a forest down that was a bunch of dead wood. All of these new things come out of it. It's the rising of the Phoenix. We have the Phoenix inside of us. If we're willing to choose, it's always about the power to
0: choose. Okay, this is very interesting because I really like, the keyword the draining and and I want to relate this back to your background uh, and then I want to project into where we are today. Um, as far as your environment goes, do you think uh, personally you had to filter your environment or you just happen to have been in a great environment to begin with? Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah. So I mean, my my environment. What growing up in Alaska was one of the most bizarre places that you could possibly imagine. I mean, just just think about the summers where the, the sun doesn't set, and the winters where the sun doesn't come up. Oh, I mean, that kind of stuff. It's very strange, and didn't really know it at the time. But there's also this clingingness to uh, for a lot of people that want to stay in an environment that's familiar. And instead, I just moved away and said, "Okay, I'm going to go out into this scary land called the continental United States." All of us have something like that in our lives where we have comfort in what we've known and it's a familiarity. But the interesting thing is that you see people that have come over to the United States, for example, from other countries, and they come over here with nothing and they, nothing is familiar. And yet it becomes familiar because we're humans and we can adapt if we have a big enough why and a desire. So it's, I've, I've moved a lot and I, I tend to choose places that will stretch me and some people go, you just move a lot. You're a nomad. And I go, because I'm constantly stretching myself because I don't want to get sedentary or lethargic. And quite frankly, I've got a life to live, not just a life to watch go by.
0: So that's, that's, I love how you say that you're getting all these key points and I'm actually jotting it down because here in the lab, but I want to get real granular, granular into this. And so, so Damien, let's, let's, we're going to fast forward to today, but I want to hear along the way, what do you think you were searching for along the way? Because I always like to get into the mind of entrepreneurs and, uh, and, you know, we throw that word around, but really it's for, for us, we identify as experimenters, right? Whether it's, um, and I just had this conversation yesterday, actually, where I was talking about how with someone, how you know, the importance of 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 getting started is that it leads you to other areas and opportunities that you didn't even recognize initially, right? That's that's the biggest thing I can tell someone who's looking or see, searching for the right thing. You got to get started right away. So I guess for you, you know, when I hear someone who's gone through, it sounds like from an early age, you know, 11, you're starting a business, you're selling books, you're doing all that. Do you think you're searching for some kind of score, some fulfillment? What do you think it was along the way and then I'd like to kind of project how that kind of embodies the, the, the entire vision today. But talk, talk to me about that phase. I know it might be a long stretch, but do you recall what you were seeking?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of us are seeking approval because mm-hmm. there's a part of us that's like crazy. And we're doing things that are outside of the norm. Any entrepreneur is willing to bet real money, real time with things that don't necessarily have proof. And so people look at us like we're crazy. So part of it, like when I got dropped out and thrown out of school, part of it was proving that, Hey, I am actually going to go make some success out of my life so that I can prove to people that were telling me that I should go back to school or I should do what they needed me to do for them to feel comfortable. Basically, they were crabs in a box pulling me back down. It was proof. It was proof that I wasn't, you know, that I wasn't a loser. I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we're, we're simply proving that there's an ego. It's a, it's a fragile ego that we all have, at least in the beginning until you start developing scar tissue and over the years it it used to be where i felt awkward or felt bad because people were saying well why aren't you doing this and i noticed you're you're kind of bouncing around or you're struggling or you don't really seem like you're getting anywhere and 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 so part of it is is just saying okay i'm gonna let go of that but in the beginning there is absolutely validation we're trying to we're seeking validation that we're not either stupid or crazy and and eventually when i when I built up my, my empire, if you will, in my twenties up to a $20 million portfolio and then lost it, I asked a different question. I said, well, wait a second. I proved that I could make money. I proved that I could create success in business, but then I lost it. So is that really what it is? Just building it up and losing it or building it up and keeping it. And then I realized there was something beyond it when I let my ego go. And I started asking what's in this for everybody else. Meaning what's my life here for? It's not just for my hedonistic temptations. It's literally for other people. Shifting into that, that, that concern about proving something to anybody, I was proving something into the universe at that point. like I was proving that I've got it, that I'm going to continue, that I've got the resilience and, and the level of total commitment to getting it done to closing the loop. That's the shift. It goes from ego, which is selfish to egoless and, and service-based, which is self, you know selfless.
0: Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because you, you talk about that in your mission, which is what I want to get to. So right now, if I meet you and, and we're sitting uh, in where we're taking off from Arizona into uh, an airplane and we're sitting side by side, what's your elevator pitch to me? And if I ask you hey, you know, what's what's driving you, Uh, you know, what's getting gets you out of bed up every every day? You know, what is that? What would you say? Because I, I, I've seen your mission. I'm, I'm curious as to hear as how that how relevant that is to, to what you're doing today. What is it that you're trying to do?
1: I I get up every day and it's crazy Mm -hmm. for most people to think about this, but I've been on vacation and I woke up at three o'clock in the morning with an idea and I started researching IRS code and I'm up at 6 a.m. still looking at code, getting excited. Why? Because it gives me more resources and power and tools to share with people to be able to break their shackles. The financial bondage that we're in is mostly self-imposed. And for me to be able to empower people to teach them how to fish and break those shackles means that they're never going to put the shackles back on once I empower them. If I say, hey, you seem nice, let me give you a million bucks, the shackles are still on. The mission is to break the shackles, but it's by giving people bolt cutters. And the bolt cutters are the tools and it's the shift, it's building their muscle. Because most Mm -hmm. of us have financial muscles that look like Pee Wee Herman versus Schwarzenegger. And so there's a shift, and it's about the training and it's about finding ways, like a good trainer pushes you further than you think you can go a bad trainer says oh it's okay yeah you can just do two reps or stay home i know you're not feeling up to it so my job is to push people stretch them and give them new ideas and then challenge them on their assumptions so it's all about giving people the, the power to break those shackles because truly why are we here if it's not to be free
0: Absolutely. So I like that because that's one of the things I journal a lot and I'm very in personal development. One of the things that I optimize for is freedom, right? Um, so, what does that mean and how are you doing this today? Just for our listeners and those who are watching, is it the EQRP model? Is it what it, you want to go into depth about how you're actually doing this tactically and allow everyone to hear how you're doing this for folks?
1: Yeah, there's so the, the main focus of all the work that I do is on education. Whether it's in the retirement account that I'll talk about, the EQRP, or it's in Black Belt Wealth, the financial literacy and mastery training that I do, or it's in the masterminds, everything has that thread going through it, which is about it's it's about educating people with tools and ideas. It's about giving people control, or at least inspiring them to ask better questions that put them in control. And one of the things that's interesting when I've worked with people over the years, one of, one of these couples I worked with came to me and they said, Hey, we want help with our money. And I said, okay, what do you want me to do? Like, I don't know what that means. And they said, well, we've got a couple million bucks. We're 50 years old and we're not really sure what's next. Like how do we keep this? Cause most people don't actually have the skills. They might have the money, but they don't know what to do. And so they're afraid. So we live in this fear. So the, the work that I do is giving people tools like the EQRP which basically is you having control of your retirement money, which is where most people's net worth is. It's in their retirement money and their house. That's typically where people have their stuff. Their, their, their financial life is in those two places. So we give them control of that money to be able to do things that they're in charge of, meaning we're taking people out of Wall Street. We're saying Wall Street is not for you. It's for Wall Street. That's the entire name of the game. Wall Street feeds off of people. And if you don't believe me, you don't even know me, look up John Bogle, the founder of Vanguard. He says the same thing. And a lot of people that don't really have any, they're not really trying to make more money. They're really, when they're really honest about it, that's what they'll tell you. Cause it's the truth. And so we're giving the EQRP gives people control and it allows them to do things like invest in, in their neighborhood, you know, invest in real estate, invest in things that make sense and actually learn something. Our system is, is teaching us that we're too stupid and, and we're, we're not worthy of actually controlling our money. Like you look at most financial advisors and I get it. There are some good ones but most financial advisors treat you like you're a three-year-old. Nope. Nope. Let me have your money. Nope. You're not worthy of it. When you're 60, we may be giving you some of it back, but really we'll take care of it because we're smarter. And it makes me mad, man. It frustrates me and pisses me off that people are treated like that. The truth is we're all smart enough because who the hell is going to care about your money more than you? Yeah. Nobody.
0: Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. Cause it, I, look, I'm very open-minded. So last thing I'll do is say oh, financial advisor and cringe, but you know, part of, You know that I'd like to hear anytime I hear someone who's in the advising space, I'd like to hear, are you more on the, uh, are you providing the education and, or are you, do you also become the vehicle to write up, to take your clients with them or do you just provide them the education, which, which one?
1: Well, that and that's the thing. I mean, we we spend a lot of time on educating people. Sometimes the tools that we have are useful, and sometimes we expand people, and we and they have a, a different outlook because of the interaction, conversations, and things. So I, I I agree with you. And the financial advisors, the problem with the term financial advisors is what it usually means is I'm st- selling mutual funds and life insurance. It doesn't actually mean I'm advising because what it does is it says, the system, and I used to have an insurance agency, and what we did is we had certain products. That's what we could sell. And so when we were advising people, it was, hey, here's the advice. Buy what I have to sell. It wasn't really a full, honest outlook on all the different options because we didn't have training and we weren't professional investors. Most financial advisors are really good salespeople, and some of them are investors, but the large, the large majority of them are commission salespeople that are really good at selling their stuff. And so I think we have to ask the question, where's the money? How's the money moving? When people are giving you financial advice, are they making money investing in the things they're telling you to invest in or are they making money In commissions and typically it's commissions. That's it. Follow the money. You'll learn a lot.
0: Yeah. And 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 speaking of education, I think this is a good point because I think uh, there's a big difference between, I believe it's, I don't know if it's registered investment advisor versus a financial advisor, but there's a difference between what's suitable and what's fiduciary, right? Which is for your best interest or paid per fee or paid per the portfolio that they're presenting to you. So I think that in itself kind of opens up the, the the mind of that so so excellent so you're you're talking about education you're talking about helping people get there uh what what would the conversation look like for for those who are listeners who, who may want to even consider hey w- what are some of the education tools i need to think of and and before i even let you answer that question i will jump in and say i really do like damien on your website how you say hey before you want to work with us get educated first, get our book, understand where we're coming from. Let me open up your lens so that now we can speak the same language. And I think that's remarkable. Um, But if we're sitting again, side by side next to each other right now, is it more, okay, are you interested in just taking my money and, and helping me? Or is it just Ruben, here are the tools and then you make the decision.
1: The, the most important thing is, is that you're willing to be 100% responsible. I really don't want to even want to talk to you, man, if you're not responsible. Yeah. Like if we're sitting on that plane, I'm going to say, look, I'm going to listen to my music or a podcast because if you're a victim, you're wasting my time and you're yeah. sucking my energy. You're like a zombie. Yeah. So can you, can you elaborate
0: work. on what, what you mean by victim? Because I know you touch on that a lot.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, this is the key piece. There's, so there's two, d- two different types of people. There are people that are self-responsible and that, what that looks like is whatever happens to me, it's my responsibility and I own it and it doesn't matter whether a hurricane happened or i lost my house or or i got raped like it doesn't matter we take responsibility and people say oh my gosh did you just say i have to be responsible for being raped and the reason i bring this up is because it's not that you said hey come rape me it's that you get to choose what you do with it you get to choose how you interpret the events of your life and so when people think okay well what am i going to do am i going to say well this person did this thing to me. Well, you can't fix anything if it's just somebody did something to you. If it's the government's fault or it's a politician's fault or it's your boss's fault or whatever, you have no power. You've given your power away. And that's what the problem with victimhood is. When you're responsible, the moment you go 100% responsible is the moment you have 100% power because you can change anything because you're, you're actually driving the thing. Otherwise, you're in the trunk just beating on it and crying and whining like a limp dog. And so the question is, which one are you going to be? And if you think, you just think about your words and when you talk about how they're doing this to me, or this is wrong, you're basically, you're victimizing, you're justifying like, well, I did this because I like, I didn't go to college. Is that a justification for making a certain amount of money or yeah. having, you know, my parents argued they're divorced? Does that mean I could get to go beat my wife because it's my parents' fault? Like that, those are justifications. They're very low energy and they're an excuse. So the question is, do you have excuses or do you have inspiration for your life? And responsible people have inspiration. They have warnings sometimes. They always have a control mechanism around what they're choosing to think about things. It's not about how it's going to happen to them. It's why it's happening for them. Big difference.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up. I was actually just consuming uh, this in, in a book I'm recently reading right now. I think it's Millionaire Mindset. Uh, and it was just talking about the difference between you know being a victim versus taking control, uh, which is, I see that that embodies what you're doing with your businesses so that's fantastic we'll be right back let's switch into the uh, transitions to the keeping it real segment so i would like to ask uh, in in this case for you you had a lot of business you you're you're doing a lot of different things uh, which one came first as did you see a real estate as a vehicle to to open up an avenue to again for for your clients or for yourself were you're scratching your own itch and then you wanted to show everybody the light? What did that look like when kind of real estate came into the play?
1: Man, I wanted to be Donald Trump. <laughs> now, I know that half the people just hung up this, this show and they're like, I'm <laughs> out, and, which is kind of funny. But I mean, back in, in the late 90s, I had an insurance agency and the mm-hmm. biggest agents that I saw and were exposed to back then make a million bucks a year. And I said, well, I'd read Donald Trump's book, you know, at, Art of the Comeback, Art of the Deal. And I went, no, I want to make a billion dollars a year. And so what am I doing in in this crazy insurance thing? Unless I'm Warren Buffett with General Re with an insurance company where you're making billions. That wasn't my path. I was selling life insurance and property, you know, like renter's insurance and stuff. So I said, a million bucks is not enough. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be Donald Trump. So it was very ego focused. It wasn't about, I'm going to go create housing. Like I'm going to do something for other people and the money's a side effect. I was still the 20 something that was like, yeah, more money means I'm happier. And it's a misnomer and it's a, It's a falsehood. More money gives you more choices. It amplifies who the heck you already are. Question is, what are you starting with? If you make the outcome, the side effect, your primary focus, you're missing the entire point of purpose.
0: Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, uh, because I like hearing that. You sounds like you you went into the real estate to, again, chase the money when there. In fact, you can obviously bring a lot of value to not only communities, but also people who may not be familiar with investing, right? That's kind of like the bridge as well, you know, whether it's their 401ks or whatever the IRAs or whatever the case might be. So I guess initially when you got into real estate, uh, was there a specific strategy that you picked or what was it? And then I want to make sure I follow up on the agency side as well, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, in the beginning, all I, all I thought about was, okay, what can I do to get started? It's like we see these 2 a.m. infomercials. <laughs> we see these different things. And now it's all on Facebook. It's 24-7, 365. Yeah. And we see these opportunities to make a ton of money. And I said, okay, well, I just I blindly followed what they said. I went to a seminar in, in in Florida and I started buying houses. And then I was basically just providing those to people that could not get a house from a bank. And so that was my strategy. I did that 150 times. And it was-
0: well, you, I'm sorry, was, were you a, were you a le- lender or I, I don't think I followed- no,
1: I was I was buying the houses. I was uh-huh. buying single family houses yeah. and then I would what I would do is I was I was providing financing. Basically I was providing I was the bank. So I owned the house and I provided the financing. Owner financing. Owner, carry back, Own, owner, yeah, owner okay, financing. Oh. And so it it was it was a simple thing and it wasn't it wasn't just money. I mean there there was a piece where I got to I got to see a lot of people that were like it was the only house that they probably ever had or ever would have yeah. because they just their life wasn't wired. And they, they hadn't made a choice to change it in a, in a radical way. So, you know, there was some neat stuff to be able to do in that space. The problem is it was way, way, way too much money focused, which is also why I lost the 20 million because I wasn't thinking about long-term foundation or stability or anything. It was about when's, when's my next Ferrari going to get delivered? Yeah. And that's a very dangerous approach, especially when you have that kind of power and wealth in your 20s. But really at any age, I, it's just dangerous. And then something switches when you, when you lose it all and it's a giant gift from the universe, hey, you, you aren't paying attention. There's a reason that wealth is created and it's not just to make more wealth. It's actually to impact more people. It's not about a billion dollars, Mr. Lupo. It's yeah. about a billion people. Like yeah. that's what you should be focusing on. I didn't know that. I, I had to learn the hard way.
0: Absolutely. So what, how did you lose your shirt, so to speak, in that situation? I guess from a tactical perspective, what was it? Were you In that business model, I'm kind of curious as to how things went wrong.
1: Because when, when the, my problem is a lot, a lot of people's problem, probably a lot of people right now, when you have success and you don't have the, the mistakes, you think you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And so you tend to just keep growing and growing and growing and you're not, and you, you think, well, what could go wrong? And so when I made a whole bunch of money in 2004 and five made millions of dollars, I went out and kept growing it. And I thought I can have businesses in seven different States. Yeah, no problem. I can have projects without anybody actually on site managing them. Like I did all these things because I didn't think I could actually lose. My ego thought I was invincible and that is the most dangerous thing on earth thinking you're invincible. It's incredibly powerful because you can go out and make, you can change the world assuming you don't get killed in the process. So I got financially killed and it was, it was because I had levered up. It was because I was harvesting because I was living a, you know, a Ferrari lifestyle and that's, that there wasn't a foundation. It's like a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to live in the here and now, and it's well, yeah, that's good. And you need to think about a future too. And I wasn't really thinking about the future. I was just thinking about the glands, you know, the fear and the greed, mostly the greed, and mm-hmm. how it felt good in the moment. Uh, that's cool and it's fun and it's there are consequences. I call it, those are the first, second, and third order consequences. Mm-hmm. Feels good on your lips right now, that that big donut or you know yeah. whatever, and then there are consequences down the road where you end up with diabetes. And then the bigger consequence, the third order consequence that we don't really think about, it's our belief systems, how we see ourselves, what we see ourselves as really is a big fatty. When we have this constant influx of stupid food, it's a good example of how we're not really putting those in alignment. If we really saw ourselves as healthy and we saw ourselves as fit and worthy, we would not be pounding down the Twinkies. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's, but we don't really think about that because we, we think about what feels good, which is really not thinking at all
0: yeah well what would you have done differently though damien as far as uh, during that time where it sounds like you, you was it just more systems was it more people on site what what, what is it do you think that i mean it sounds like a lot of things you could have twe- tweaked but what are some memorable um, steps that you think you you could you you would take today
1: two things that i, that I would do and i think it there's no exception to this rule. One, always have a balder grayer mentor that you respect, that you're paying to pay attention to, yeah. that, you, that you ask for the truth and you'll actually listen. I got rid of that person. I had that, I had that person in different forms for a number of years. When I got rid of that person, I became the mentor to myself and I had too many blind spots like we always do. Every major performer, whether it's, uh, whether it's Alice Cooper or it's Tiger Woods, always have coaches. They always have coaches because you can't see yourself. And so that's one of the things. And the other one was that the numbers don't lie. And to always have somebody keeping track of your numbers and putting those in front of you, even if it's just you personally, and you have a W2 job, having somebody that's saying, here's what you're doing, giving you feedback. Again, numbers don't lie. They tell a story. They tell what you're, what you believe in, and they tell you where you're going. And so just having those two things is one heck of a start. Unfortunately, most people don't have either one of those things, let alone both.
0: That's, that's very true. And, and I think that's, it's, I, I love this because it, it it works across the board. Like you said, whether you're a business owner, whether it's your personal life, it's check your numbers, whether it's, you know, what did I do today? What did I, what were my wins? What were my losses and having this uh, constant review and, and kind of report card of how you're, how you're, how you're doing. So I, I really do like that. Uh, I want to, you touched on uh, the agency side. I want to just uh, kind of like forecast kind of what we're, uh, where we're at today but you talked about how you were were you working in the insurance agency or the, and, and, as an insurance agent and then you started your own company or which one which one so came I, first
1: yeah so so it, i worked one of the only real jobs i had for very long like a big boy mm-hmm. job was working at a bank and that lasted until the fourth of july when i started up my own insurance agency so i was an agent and had an agency and this was i was very very young i don't I, in fact I, knew, I i couldn't drink alcohol i was I was either 19 or 20. So it was it was very, very young. And um, that yeah, it was it was a full-on business. I did it was it was my thing, which was good and bad. I mean, like you learn a lot. I think it probably made the people that were the you know, the people that were above me a little bit crazy because I still had that youthful, like chaotic energy. And it's just part of it's part of growing up. So that's how I started. It's very young, and I, I get why they generally don't insurance companies don't want to have 19, 20, 21 year olds in that game because we're just not mature enough to understand the possibility that's there. And so, um, I, you know, I, in large part I blew it in that thing, but that's okay. And that was actually a blessing because it led me to the next thing. And, and there's always this growth process. And so I don't look back and go, Oh, I, I screwed up. Right. And that was just part of the process.
0: Absolutely. So now fast forward today, uh, as far as real estate goes, you learned from, uh, the 2004, 2005, where you're doing owner finance. Uh, and now we talked a little bit about EQ or, EQRP. We talked about, about your, your vision towards uh, helping over a million people. Uh, how does that come full circle today and what you're currently doing with uh, on the real estate side uh, with uh, investors?
1: So the, the stuff I'm doing today is helping investors invest in things that actually make sense long term. One of the things that most people don't have really an opportunity for is something that's long term that actually works. The best thing we can look at really is either having a rental house which isn't really going to get you all the way there or it's an annuity that you're going to make three, four 5% on if you're lucky. And so there's, so we, the focus now is, is finding it's, it's creating that wealth opportunity for 20, 30 years for people that's consistent that they can count on that they, and, and so it's, it's a different thing. I mean, most of the marketplace is very short sighted. It's either short sighted on here's the environment, here's the deal that's three or four or five years and then it's done and got to go find a new one, or it's, Hey, give me your money and then go away and I'll let you know if it grows or it doesn't, but I'm going to feed you to death for the next 30 years. Yeah. So I mean, my, my focus is on bridging that gap and, and helping people not only with the investments, but understanding how they're investing so that if I'm not in the equation, they're, they're strong enough to be able to go out there and continue doing it.
0: Okay, so for those listeners who are listening right now and hear, hear your vision, hear your core values, which are very clear and transparent, as far as uh, how does it look like working with you? Are they coming in as a passive investor and they're getting a little bit more transparent on what's happening? Are you consulting them on which investments they can do on their own? What does that look like when I work with you, Damien?
1: It, it, you know, it's it's a great question. Usually what, what happens is people come in like that mm-hmm. that uh, that one couple and they say, hey, we want help with our money. People just show up. I mean, it's it's interesting because people ask for help when they're ready, usually. I, I don't go looking for somebody that needs help. What happens is people, there's a resonation around the energy. Like people either resonate, and I think it's an important thing. So whoever you're going to work with, you should really resonate with that person. You should resonate whatever level of integrity you're at. You should demand that you have the level of integrity that you are with whoever's advising you. If you're a scumbag, you're going to have a lot of options. But if you're actually somebody that's honest and and has integrity, you really want to make sure that you're working with people. It doesn't matter whether it's a financial advisor or it's your accountant or your attorney or your coach or whatever. There's, I think there has to be an alignment first. So somebody could come to me and they could say, I want help with this, whether it's a retirement account or they want to have some mentoring. It it doesn't matter because it's a human being, which means one size doesn't fit all. And so sometimes I have a lot of conversations that are half an hour, or an hour, and we're good. Like there's an epiphany and don't ever have to have another conversation. doesn't mean I don't want to. It just means that that's all that was needed for me to serve a role in somebody's life. Yeah. So it, it's really, it's fairly flexible. And you know, I, I, it's, it's the worst pitch ever, right? Probably for trying to have somebody come in They're Like, well, what do you do? Or like, why would I call you? I don't know if you, if you like me, somebody asked me that the other day, they said, well, why should we work with you? And I said, I don't know. I guess if you like me, because why would you want to work with anybody you didn't really like? I mean, you got to like somebody and you got to trust them. And if you go, well, I don't really like them, but they're really smart. Bad move. Bad move.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, you definitely want to pick your partners. So if you, if I'm picking you as a partner, are you more working with me as a consultant or are you more working as a general partner, a syndicator, or how does that look like?
1: So I I have a number of different hats. I mean, Mm -hmm. we we have, we have a hedge fund that I run Mm -hmm. and we also do consulting with people and just really helping them with their money in different ways. So some people, it's one, some it's the other. It, it yeah. really depends on who it is. Yeah. And The way that I look at this is, is how can I best serve somebody? And somebody sometimes it's, you know what? I got a great book. Let me send you a book. Sometimes it's my book. Sometimes it's somebody else's book. Sometimes that's it. And sometimes it's, you know what? there's I've got a really good person that I think would be a good person for you to either partner with or invest with. So yeah. just adding I, value. I, I, adding value. I mean, yeah. the, this is the the mystery that people go, well, how do I get rich? How do I make money? How do I do find ways to create value and don't go ask another person, how can I help you? And I, you know why? Cause you're putting the onus of that, of you helping them on them. I love mm-hmm. that. So don't do that. Just go do, go do something. I, and I, I, I'm borrowing this cause Hayden Crabtree, good buddy of mine made this comment to me and he, he shared, I was laughing then he started doing it to me. And I said, man, you are just loading me up with value. And I'm like, well, how can I help? I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, how can I help him? So then I start figuring out ways to help him and I'm just doing it. So it, it really creates more of a flow and an energy yeah. when you say, let me know how I can help you. Well, then I'm like, S it, it feels like I have another job. I'm like, yeah. I, I'm too busy to figure out how, but you, when, you, when you, you want the magic, go look at somebody and figure out what the gap is, where their struggle is, where you can do something that they're not doing, start doing it. See what yeah. happens. And it doesn't matter what you're selling. Just go create value. Networks and people are where it's at. That's, that's so interesting.
0: It, it Look, I love this conversation because I that's something that, uh, those are our core values with what we do. We we over deliver uh, with our agency as well, and we try to offer value. And we never. Um, I, read, I read a really good book. Uh, it's like "Shut Up and Shut Up and Listen" by Tilman Furtada That says uh, never never say no, uh, but uh, but always give options. And I think I'd love to kind of hear. Uh, this is maybe a, a personal question for myself: is how you balance staying in alignment with what you're good at like literally for the sake of the person that you're sitting in front of you know if if someone tells me hey um can you do this um I don't want to go ahead and try to do it if I can't do it so I I guess for you it sounds like you would tap into your network but is there because you're wearing a lot of different hats and because you can offer a lot do you feel that it was always this way where you you either kind of Elevated and, and grew your your options within your company, or like how do you how do you kind of control how much uh, you can provide to someone and making sure you're still doing a really good job at providing those services?
1: Man, it's a great question. <laughs> in, the, in the beginning, the 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 mistake I made one of the mistakes because I think I made all of them, um, and and I say that and, you know tomorrow I'll make another one. I'll go oh, didn't realize that was there. But yeah. one of the mistakes in the beginning was to try to be everything to everybody. And yeah, instead, yeah. what the, the power is, is a niche. I mean, the riches are in the niches. It's a great saying somebody came up with. Right. And it's true. So it, it allows you to know, so people can know who you are and what yeah. you're all about. I mean, the, the best thing I can do is get very, very real with people with their numbers and cut right down to the truth. That is my secret weapon. It's my superpower. And, and so when you, when you think about what you're good at, you have to also realize that you're not good at everything else. And you're not great at those. And One of the, one of the also, the, like the, the secrets is there's no competition at the top. It's also, it can be very lonely. Most people are fighting in mediocrity. They're fighting to do everything for everybody. Sometimes I ask people what they do or or what they're good at, and, I'm, and I'm like, I literally have to take a nap because they just go on. And on. I'm like, you do every damn thing under the sun. You have 14 businesses, all of which, it's like I had a friend of mine one time that said this. He's got four businesses. I, I remember being at his wedding. And his wife stands up and she said, oh, he's got four successful businesses. I'm like, I've seen the financials. No, he doesn't. He has four businesses because he can't say no. And he can't say, no, this is just not my thing that I'm good at. He was really, really good world-class at one of them, but he wouldn't just focus on that one. And people want this variety because it it satisfies this natural need, the six human needs, including variety. Well, go skydiving, get the juice somewhere else and, and focus on that one thing. And so- I'm happy and very, very good at when people say, well, I've got this this stock trading thing. And I'm like, I don't know anything about that, except if I ever tell you what I'm investing in in the stock market, short it, sell it, because I will make you money by doing the opposite of what, you know, that's because I'm terrible at that. It's not my thing. And and I know now what I'm really bad at. And there's very, very little that I'm very, very good at. So I focus on that. And and we have to have confidence that there's enough there. Mostly it's a scarcity mentality. Like if I don't do everything for everybody, I'm not going to have anybody to serve. Not true. You'll yeah. we'll actually have more people to serve if you focus.
0: So that's interesting, and this will be one of the last questions before we go to the rapid fire round, Damien. You, I guess, as of today, or how many different hands do you have in your business, your different businesses? Or the question I should ask is how many of those business, businesses have synergy amongst themselves, where they kind of feed into one another?
1: So that's that's a it's an excellent point. Everything I do is synergistically connected to everything else. There is no outlier where it's like this one thing. Like There's crossover and, the, and things, they, they support each other and people tend to go from one to another and it works. It works really well. They're all about educating people and breaking the shackles. There's 100% consistency with everything we do. Like I am not in businesses that don't feed into that on purpose because I want things to reinforce each other. And when people say, well, what are you all about? I'm about breaking financial shackles and giving you power because you know the truth and you can work with the truth. Clarity delivers power. Clarity is power. And where do you get clarity more so than from the numbers and from the truth and owning that with responsibility? Nowhere. And so everything that I do has to do with that. If it doesn't have to do with that, I don't do it.
0: Well, love it. Great answer. So real quick, you seem like a very, uh, well, not only do you seem, I can see that you're very well, uh, uh, you have a lot of great self-awareness. I'm very excited to hear what your answers to these questions are going to be. So as far as, do you have a, what is your favorite book?
1: I I go back to Mastery. If it's somebody else's book and I've written a dozen, I also will tell you that I love my books because they Mm -hmm. they forced me to get clear on ideas and my thinking. Mm -hmm. So like when I wrote Reinvented Life, it forced me to understand what I screwed up in the 2000s and so it was a great gift to me. If nobody else, it was a great gift to me to say, okay, well, I know how I don't want to be, and here's a path to how I do want to be and how I want to show up. And it, it led me towards a deeper path into mastery, which is my other book that George Leonard wrote. And it, all of us can be on a road to path and a path to mastery if we're willing to commit to something. And mastery is, is way more important than success. Success comes and goes. It's a fleeting moment. Mastery is a lifelong journey of deep fulfillment.
0: No. And so that, that is that book by you? No,
1: that's George Leonard. He's, a, George he's Leonard? also a martial artist. And yeah, it was, oh. it's, about, it's about martial arts and life. And it really does touch, it touches something in our soul when we read that book that, oh, I, I kind of get it. I get the missing pieces. I get that the path I'm on is, is not really fulfilling. Now I start to understand why. It's, a, it's an incredible book.
0: Awesome. What do you think is uh, the best habit that serves you every day?
1: The best habit is, is off. Uh, the off button you know it's it's i i answer the same way when somebody says what's your favorite technology or your tool and i say the off button like i go to bed and there's no there's no technology in my my space and being able to and it's hard i mean i'm like most people i'm I'm addicted to all the dings and blings and oh man it is brutal (laughs) and it's the fomo i don't want to miss anything and and i have clients that i love and care about so i don't want to miss something if they need something the the off button is is my favorite thing and it's Part of that is because it allows me to, to connect with real, uh, real skies, real, real stars, real nature, you know, quails and bunnies running around in my yard, the garden it's it. And that's one of the gifts of this whole pandemic thing. If we tap into it, there's Absolutely. a certain sense of authentic groundedness and peacefulness in the stillness that we can either grab, or we can be frustrated begging for back to normal. And I would say that for a lot of people, normal was probably not very healthy that a different version of, of your world can be opened up if you're willing to sit still for long enough to realize the gift that this is.
0: Well, very well said. I really do appreciate that. And and I realize that as well. I think that's very true. I would agree with you. Um, If you had uh, one superpower, Damien, and everything that you're, you're doing as as an individual, what do you think that superpower would be um, that you'd like to uh, develop and have?
1: I mean, the, the, the superpower is is definitely the ability to fly.
0: I mean, that's oh yeah.
1: <laughs> there, there's there's an interesting thing when I when I teach martial arts because there's this this flow that happens where time and space disappears and there's this connection with something way beyond me, my understanding of anything. It's it's almost supernatural. That's the closest thing that I've ever had to flying, and it's because I'm floating in a way. There's there's almost a, a disconnect between gravity or friction, and so that superpower is what I'm tapping into, and there's a sense of calm and, and just peace and joy. And so you know, every time I look at a bird, I'm like, you're like the ultimate ninja up there. You're just floating around, and it, it makes me happy to think about that. And yeah. I think there's a way for us to all fly in our lives if, if we're willing to commit to something and let go of the tension and the conflict. We go into a relationship, and there's a stillness that happens when we do that, and all of a sudden, wow, I'm flying, I'm floating, time stands still, and it's truly
0: amazing. Like being in the zone, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I love that. Well, that, uh, lastly, I always like to ask, uh, you know, if if this, what question do you wish I would have asked you that we didn't touch today?
1: Man, I think you covered everything except my favorite ice cream flavor. <laughs>
0: would well, you care to share? <laughs> Man, is there's awesome.
1: nothing better than peanut butter chocolate. Come on now. Oh, that's so funny.
0: <laughs> peanut butter chocolate. That's a, that's a good one. We could all use that right now. It's getting nice out here, but uh, listen, Damien, thank you for stepping into the lab. I always like to say for those of you who would like to, uh, for those of us who are listening, who would like to find out about more about, you know, what your your company is doing, what you're about. Where can we find out more about you, Damien?
1: Man, come check it out. Check me out on Financial Underdogs. It's my podcast, and it's the home financialunderdogs.com. And and you'll, I mean, most of us, if we look in the mirror, we're like, yep. Yeah, I'm an underdog. I'm fighting. I wasn't born on third base, yeah. and it's it's a community. I mean, that's the whole point of breaking shackles is to move past this whole scrappiness and to have that freedom, so that we're not constantly chasing money or trying where money is not part of the the drive. There's yeah. something more than money, but if you don't get money figured out, it's always going to be the thing that you're focused on. So yeah. uh, that's that's what financial underdogs is all about. That's where we're going. That's what we talk about, and that's what what we're uh, we're all in together on is being underdogs and, and beating Goliath.
0: I love that. I love that. And wow, just like that, guys, we are out. If you're a real estate professional, a real estate agent, a real estate investor, a lender, a multifamily syndicator, a contractor, you name it, and you're looking to grow your online presence, but you have no idea how to get started or simply don't have the time at invested talent. We help real estate professionals extend their current business to social media. Why is this important? Without this, you wouldn't be listening to this show, and your own host, Ruben Kanya, and his team would not have done deals they've done today. As a matter of fact, social media has helped us keep this show together, which now exceeds a billion dollars worth of real estate from our guests collectively. That's right, our reputation, opportunities, partnerships, and most importantly, real estate transactions were started directly from social media. If you're a real estate professional and you lack an existence on a media platform, Invested Talent can help. Simply go to InvestedTalent.com forward slash social media and make sure you click the get in touch button to get in touch with our team. Again, that's InvestedTalent.com forward slash social media and get in touch with our team. You focus on being the brand and we'll help you build it. Now, if you know anything about the lab, you know that we like to give practical advice. So if you feel that this podcast was of any value to you, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes by going directly to the podcast app. From the show's page, scroll all the way down and leave us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Lastly, and most importantly, share this episode with a friend you feel will benefit this episode the most remember there's a you and I in build let's build y'all